The cancer journey is unique for everyone. It's time to figure out our new normal, and there's no one-size-fits-all manual. Welcome to Unspoken Cancer Truths with Jen Cochran, because surviving is just the beginning. Welcome to episode 27 of Unspoken Cancer Truths. I'm your host, Jen Cochran. Life can be messy and beautiful all at once, and even in the face of cancer, you still have choices you can make and things you can control. Today, I'm joined by Cindy Ballantyne, who chose to meet the challenges of her breast cancer journey with laughter and humor. In this episode, she shares with us her cancer experience over the last 50 years, starting with her father's Hodgkin's lymphoma, through losing her uncle, aunt, and later her mother to cancer and finally her own shocking breast cancer diagnosis in 2017. Cindy spent 20 years as a professional opera singer and has now embarked on a new career in cancer research. She currently works in the Oncology Clinical Trials Office of Inova. She's a Survivors Offering Support Mentor and volunteers with Runway to the Cure and Inova's No One Dies Alone program. I'm excited to have her share her story with you today. Welcome, Cindy. I'm super excited to have you here today. Okay. I'm going to have you just jump right in and tell us about your story. Well, thank you, Jennifer. I'm, I'm very happy to be here and I'm honored to speak with you today about my cancer experience, which actually started over 50 years ago with my parents' cancer experience. Uh, my mom and dad were high school sweethearts. And of course, they graduated from high school. They went their separate ways. My father joined the army. My mom went on to Georgetown School of Nursing. Um, She was finishing her nursing degree. And while my father was in the army, it was discovered that he had Hodgkin's lymphoma. So he was honorably discharged from the army and sent back to the Washington, D.C. area. Because it's a small town, even though it's not so small anymore, my mother found out that Norman was back in town and went to see him while he was getting treatment for cancer. They rekindled their relationship. They got married and then they tried to have kids almost right away, but it was not working out because my father went under uh, radiation treatment as well as other cancer treatments. So his motility was not where it needed to be. They were thinking about adoption when miracle of miracles they got pregnant with me. And so there's a great picture of them. My father was 6'2", and he was a big guy. There's a picture of him sticking his beer belly out next to my mother, who's seven months pregnant with me. And they uh, moved into a house in Fairfax City. And so I was born, and they were so thrilled that they had this baby that they went right ahead and got pregnant again with my brother. And so now we have two babies in the little house in Fairfax. My father uh, worked uh, for a bank locally in Fairfax City, and my mom was a nurse. Unfortunately, one night when I was three years old, my father suffered a massive heart attack, which now probably can be attributed to the radiation he received for his Hodgkin's lymphoma, and he did not survive. He left my mother with uh, two young children. That was very hard growing up. And so that was my first experience with cancer. Obviously, I was too young to know what that was. It would come back later on when I was 26, I believe. I was um, out of town on a job, and uh, my mother called me and said, well, I have a little thing 
in my breast and we're going to try and get rid of it and we'll see what happens. And I said, is it malignant? And she said, you should probably have a mammogram. And I said, but I'm only 26. And she said, you should probably have a mammogram. Oh, that was tough. Um, fortunately, um, she had DCIS. They were able to um, take it out and biopsy it at the same time. It was that small, which is why it's so important to get regular mammograms. Early detection, even from the 90s, early detection is still the best way to cure cancer and survive. Absolutely. She was yeah. very fortunate too, because in the nineties, it was very uncommon to have yes. it found at that very early stage. So that's amazing. Exactly. And she was one of those women who was on hormone replacement therapy for menopause. And they think that may have contributed to her DCIS. So she survived. She went underwent uh, quite a bit of radiation and was very tired from the radiation, but she persevered. We were all doing well, and then her sister, my aunt, suddenly came down with pneumonia, and we didn't know why. It was very unusual, and so finally when they tested the fluid from her lungs, they found cancer cells. Turns out my aunt had ovarian cancer. Poor Aunt Wheeze didn't make it. <laughs> we uh, planted a tree in her honor, and it sits outside their lake house in uh, Michigan to this day. She was a wonderful woman. We miss her very much. And three years later, I lost an uncle to melanoma, skin cancer, and so it has gone on. Finally, my mother, a 50-year uh, smoker, um, succumbed to small cell lung cancer in 2013. So here I am thinking that all my cancer troubles are over. You know, it took my mother, it took my aunt, it took my uncle, several people I know. This has got to be enough. Unfortunately, I you know, was doing my due diligence. I went to my doctor, who was a brand new gynecologist. And um, she asked me if I was doing self breast exams. And I said, yes, for the most part, I do self and she stopped me. And she said, what is this? I said, what is what? She put my hand over it. I'm like, what is that? And then she said, there's one in your armpit. And I said, what is that? I was completely caught off guard. I don't smoke. I don't drink to excess. You know, I don't carry a lot of risk factors. I'd carry some, obviously, but I was completely shocked and angry. And that first day I was, I was just shocked. And so then the next day I went to get a mammogram and they immediately pulled me into this little room afterwards and they asked me who my breast surgeon was. And I was like, why do I need a breast surgeon? What is going on? Um, and they're like, oh, oh, never mind. Um, you need to go see a breast surgeon. So... <laughs> Then I had to go see a breast surgeon, and then I had to get a biopsy. Um, I tell people I was on the ride before I even made the decision to get in line, and away I was going. You know, I, Kingston is one of my favorite amusement parks because I grew up going there all the time. So, you know, during the biopsy, I'm, I'm um, doing the metaphor that I'm going up the hill. Here we go. Here's the biopsy. You know, what's going to be on the other side, we're not really sure, but it's terrifying. And so that day after the mammogram, I just cried all day long. That all, that's all I could do. And it was, it was angry tears, just, just furious. Fortunately, uh, once we pulled it all together, I got what my biopsy doctor referred to as the dream team of breast cancer doctors in Northern Virginia. I had Stephanie Akbari for my breast surgeon, and Dr. Mary Wilkinson as my oncologist. 
and they worked very well and closely together at ANOVA. When I went in to see Dr. Wilkinson, she was very understanding. I had a, a very lovely appointment with her. She gave me a huge hug afterwards. I turned to my brother who had come to the appointment with me and I said, do you think I should get a second opinion? He said, no, that woman just hugged you. You should just stay with her. <laughs> so I did. And I was anxious. Now we're at, you know, it's been two weeks since we found the lump and I'm ready to go. So we started, I got my official diagnosis on Friday, January 13th of 2017. And I believe I started chemo February 3rd. Um, I did uh, 16 rounds of weekly chemo with uh, Taxol and Carboplatin. Uh, I attempted to save my hair by using cold caps. Didn't work out. And then I did two rounds every other week of AC, which was doxorubicin and cytoxin. And any hope I had of saving my hair went out the window at that point. <laughs> I went through several um, side effects. Uh, I developed blood clots in my port site. Um, my dear friend who was helping me cold cap had gotten the shingles and she touched the cold cap and then I did. So I got the shingles on the palm of my hand. Fortunately, we were able to remediate it quickly with a, an antiviral. I was very lucky that I, you know, I saw it right away. I had thrush in my mouth, had to use this special mouth rinse, but I was, by that time, I was so exhausted, I couldn't even like lift my hand in my mouth to the rinse. So Dr. Wilkinson gave me some lozenges and that cleared it right up. But the thrush certainly caused a fever, which was not a good thing. And then after my chemo was over, I was going in for weekly blood counts and my blood numbers were just not where they needed to be. Um, I had been essentially wiped out. So after a week of daily magnesium infusions, Dr. Wilkinson made the call that I needed a blood transfusion. And so in the meantime, I had planned to have a party because the next step was the double mastectomy, radical. And so I was like, okay, we're having a bye-bye boobies party. Ta-ta to the ta-tas. Here we go. And Love we had all these plans. <laughs> we had made all these plans and the day before the party, I go into the hospital for blood. And I was like, I am not letting this stop me from having my party. So I spent the night at Fair Oaks Hospital getting two units of blood, felt better almost immediately. And Isn't it amazing? I, yes. And then I went to my party that afternoon. We had a booby pinata that I was able to beat up and pin the booby on the supermodel kind of games and uh, water balloons. <laughs> And uh, my friend made me a, a, a cake that had a bikini top and it said, ta-ta, ta-tas. And, you know, there's a picture of me holding the knife, cutting the cake. And of course, it wasn't about, you know, my surgery. It was about getting together as a group and enjoying the people that I love the most, no matter what the outcome of surgery was going to be. That was what I wanted. I wanted to, you know, not only say goodbye to my ta-tas, but have those special memories with my friends just in case, you know? So um, the mastectomy uh, went and everything went well. Of course, I had drains. Of course, I drained forever. Of course, the drains didn't prevent 100% of fluid moving around in the body. And so um, I, uh, I woke up to a whoosh one day and was like, oh my gosh, what is that? But I was fine. 
it was just, you know, the overflow of fluid that, uh, that happens sometimes. And then I started radiation treatments, again, at Fair Oaks Hospital in the basement with Dr. Chawla, who was so sweet and so loving, and his nurse, Amy. Every step along this journey, I was treated with such loving care, like I had never experienced before. And so, you know, people are like, what was cancer like? And I was like, well, there are really horrible things about cancer, but there are also really beautiful things about cancer. And uh, so I, that sometimes makes it hard to reconcile mentally and emotionally. I did my radiation. <laughs> Here's a great story. So um, my radiation fell over um, Halloween. And so I got a mask at one of the local stores and I was getting radiated on my left side. So um, I had it in my hand and, you know, the, the radiation techs are worried about getting everything together and they're not really looking at me. I hop on the table, they put the blanket over me, I slip on the mask over my breast <laughs> and the woman comes by to pull the blanket down for the scanning and she sees the mask and she jumps I was like, nobody's ever done that to you on Halloween before? No, nobody's ever done that. I was like, so I'm crazy. Okay, thank you. That's great. It was great. They took a picture. They sent it to Dr. Chala with unusual scarring and area, and then he opens the picture. Apparently, he thought it was hilarious as well. That's great. I just, you know, I just took it in stride. I mean... You make a choice when you get a diagnosis like this. You make a choice yes. that you are going to be defeated and overwhelmed, or you make a choice that you are going to carry on and make the best of it because you still have to live life. You still yes. have to enjoy what's going on. No, it's not mandatory that you enjoy radiation, but I was going to make it enjoyable no matter what. Um, I had to come in uh, over a weekend because it was um, Thanksgiving. So they were closed two days. So I had to come in the following day and I came in, a friend of mine gave me some stitch pajamas. So I came in in my stitch pajama bottoms and my pink slippers and a pink robe that I had especially made that's got like fur on it. And that's how I did my radiation, you know, in my pajamas. And it was great. It's a picture of the tech. <laughs> and um, then I was, then I was done. We uh, filled my expanders gradually. I had a wonderful plastic surgeon. His name is Dr. Timothy Germain. He has since moved to Lake Erie, Pennsylvania. But he was very precise, very um, knowledgeable, just an all-around great guy. And every time I have to take off my shirt for any reason, they're like, wow, your reconstruction was great. I'm like, great. <laughs> it was great. So. Um, that was all fine. We did the expansion. Uh, I went through the holidays, pretty low key, had some residual nausea, and I did have lymphedema develop in my left arm. They had to take 12 of my lymph nodes. It's unfortunate that they had to take 12, but it is fortunate that the lymph nodes contained all the cancer. You know, it didn't have a chance to metastasize. It was only 15 months between mammograms that this, these two masses showed up. So it was pretty aggressive. I got my uh, expanders replaced with implants in March of 2018 and finally was able to go back to work in August of 2018. 
I've been working ever since. I attend Life with Cancer classes as much as possible. I love their art therapy class. Um, I'll definitely be going to the um, ASCO roundup later on this week. And I have uh, recently become a survivor's offering support mentor to anybody who needs it. And that's where I am. So share with the listeners where you work now. Right now, (laughs) I work for Inova. (laughs) They took such good care of me. I knew I wanted to work for them in some capacity, and a job opening came about in their clinical trials office for oncology in the New Shark Cancer Institute. So I, uh, I sent in my resume and cover letter, and I was picked up right away to be a support for that office. That's great. So for those listening, Inova is our local hospital center here in Northern Virginia. So that's fantastic. So we are going to take a quick break. And then when we get back, I have lots of questions for Cindy. So stay with us and we will be right back. Hi, Jen here. I hope you're enjoying the show. When I finished treatment, I discovered survivorship was way more challenging than I ever expected it to be. There are a lot of things no one prepares you for. I attended one support group meeting and knew that was not for me. The more people I talked with, the more I realized I was not alone. This podcast is a forum for people to share their cancer stories from start to present. And my Facebook group is a gathering space for people to find positive inspiration on the not so positive days. In a community of people who understand the challenges of this journey, So come on over and join the Facebook group, Surviving is Just the Beginning, and be part of the conversation. When you see the question, how did you hear about us? Be sure to mention this podcast episode. I look forward to seeing you there. We are back. I'm here with Cindy. We were chatting on our break about how it's interesting how different people respond. Like we definitely have like the fear and the anger. And in some cases we have sadness and shock and all of those things. And I definitely was a person who went to humor mm-hmm. and I got that sense from you as well. Exactly. Exactly. I've always used humor. I, <laughs> when I was a kid, I would get, for, you know, those little Valentine's day cards that were like, you know, 20 for 10 bucks. Mine, I got three of them that said, you're nutty, but you're nice. (laughs) Like when I was eight, nine, 10 years old. So it's been a little goofy and ready for fun. And that's, you know, that's how I make the most out of my situations. If I'm going to go, I'm going to go laughing, you know? Yes. That's what I want. There's so much research too, that shows that positive attitude coming at things from a positive place and being able to kind of have that in some cases self-deprecating humor yes absolutely is beneficial for us yeah exactly exactly and I would much rather be laughing and making jokes than one of the first things I said to my surgeon as she was prepping my biopsy was, I decided a long time ago, I'm taking them off and getting an upgrade. <laughs> and she started laughing and was like, well, let's 
let's see what we're dealing with. Yeah, no, I read my MRI. It doesn't look pretty. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I had my biopsy and I was done and they were like, okay, well, you can't go in the water, you know, keep everything dry so it doesn't get infected. And I was like, but I've got a Sports Illustrated swimsuit shoot next week. Are you kidding me? What do we get? We have to get Melania to sub in for me. I don't understand this. The poor doctor just looked at me for a good two seconds, completely blank, and then started laughing. I was like, oops, did I unicorn over the line? I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, I think that's great. My One of my nurses, the very first chemo treatment I had, my doc had said, oh, you're going to sail through like at least the first half, like you're in good shape, mm-hmm. you know, other than this little challenge of cancer. <laughs> I was in great shape. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you're going to be great for the first half. And as I was leaving my first chemo appointment, one of the nurses said, have you canceled all of your clients because you, you, you won't be able to work after Monday? Uh- and I, this was a Friday. And I was like, no. No. I was like, well, um, doctor said I'm going to be good like till halfway through. Um, here's the thing. I'm going to be good until I'm not good. And right. no one's going to tell me when that is. I'm going to let my body decide when it's not good. Exactly. Exactly. I agree. I agree. You, you don't let other people determine what's going to happen to you. You determine that. And I was like, you have to be in control of something through this whole experience. Yes, absolutely. So, and that's, you know, I think that humor is important because that's, that's also a a part of control. You know, you're choosing to use this as a way to cope. Yes. It's very healthy and, you know, I think it's great. And making that choice, like I'm very, very big on choice. Like there's a lot of choices in this experience. Exactly. And sometimes we have choices that we need to make that are based on protocols. And sometimes we have choices that we need to make that are based on what's going on in our body. And I've always been really supportive of like everyone's choices are their choices. Right. Exactly. And how we approach things, I would much rather... For me, personally, I would rather come at things from a laughing perspective. Like, from the outside, people looking in might have thought, my husband and I have a great relationship. He's done an amazing support system. We got married in the middle of chemo. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) He'll he'll look at me and I'll go, I have cancer. (laughs) Like, (laughs) what is it that you need? Oh my god. <laughs> now he also has had thyroid cancer since my breast cancer. So oh, really? Wow. And it was the kind of thing where he'd been monitored for many years and mm-hmm. they took it out because he had another condition that caused it to be enlarged and they took it out. And mm-hmm. the endocrinologist was like shocked. It was not he'd been tracking it, he'd been looking at it. He was really very surprised in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um he actually pulled up the results when we were in the room, but like we'll joke with each other and it's 
not from any other like we absolutely will do what one another needs someone from the outside looking in might be like oh my god you people but, are completely crazy but for us we're like truly kidding with one another because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's just the place that we come from got it because that humor is what keeps you going <laughs> yes it is it is I actually, one tool that I used was a, um, I used CaringBridge and basically had a blog. I have a lot of friends and family who are far away and they really wanted to know how I was doing. And so the updates turned into more personal sharing on that blog. And that was actually really helpful as well. Yes. You know, being able to reach out and then getting that feedback in terms of comments and, and things. Yes, just that support and connection yeah. to people. Exactly. It's exactly. so huge. And just that idea of knowing you're not alone. It's one of the reasons that I started this podcast was to hear other people's stories and in the hope that someone would hear your story and see themselves in that story and be like, oh, yeah, I, I recognize parts of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you and I were also, you had mentioned in the first half as you were telling your story about how your reconstruction went really well and mine did as well. And I, sometimes I, I feel a little funny about that because so it seems like so many people that's a challenge. So I've been really grateful in my journey that that has been pretty smooth. Yeah. Yeah. The, the challenges are certainly real. Absolutely. I'm not going to belittle anybody's experience. Absolutely. Um, your doctor can look at you and say, what are you talking about? That's absolutely fine. But if you have your body for so many years and you're like, this little thing over here is not right. That's your truth. You know, that's your, that's your thing. Obviously infections are more common than we would like them to be. Yes. Even with um, prophylactic antibiotics. But, you know, how much of that is just what happened with the surgery and the facility? How much of that is you, you know? Yeah. Did you, did you jump in the pool after your reconstruction? Did you let your dog, you know, whatever? You just don't know. Yeah. You, did you, you know. start moving too soon? And Yeah. Did you start moving too soon? Did you sweat? Or did you not start moving soon enough? Yes. Yes, exactly. There's so, so many components. And like, in my case, my body just develops scar tissue. Mm -hmm. Like, I've always been a beautiful healer. Yes. And a horrible scarer. (laughs) That's weird. It's really weird. Like, I would heal really quickly, but then my Mm -hmm. body, like, creates these crazy amounts of scar tissue. Oh. And when I hear people talking about like inconsistent discomfort and pain and like nerve sensation, like those are all things that we start to live with from this surgery. Absolutely. Were your tumor areas tender at all once you knew they were there? Were they? No. No. Mine were a little bit sore. Okay. And they were like, oh, well, if they're sore, they're not cancer. (laughs) And I hear a lot of people say that, and they still do say, I mean, I was diagnosed in 2016. They still tell people that if they hurt, they're not cancer. And 
so many people I know are like, uh, no. No. (laughs) You still have to get it checked out, you know? Well, and so then I think that contributes to that, like, fear of recurrence that's so common. Like, now we've got weird sensations and weird things that happen when the weather's gonna be bad mm-hmm. not necessarily when it is bad <laughs> like is it gonna rain in 48 hours and now I have sharp shooting pain oh but when it's raining it's fine so I never connect it to rain exactly exactly I and I don't know that we'll ever be able to determine you know all the other things that we go through as women approaching middle age anyway Right. How much of this is menopausal, perimenopausal, and how much of this is cancer fallout, you know? Absolutely. And that's also another, like, great point in terms of, so for those of us, especially in breast cancer and probably with ovarian as well, we get kind of plunged into um, menopause. Absolutely. And then... If you stop taking a hormone receptor, like a hormone therapy or then you're like in no man's land. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, some of us after not having a period for two or three years and then we start bleeding and then you think, oh, my God, something else is wrong. You know, it just the fear just feeds itself at that point. It's oh, it does. And there's still like we're still learning because with every new like protocol with every new combination of medication like if I were to have gone into menopause like perimenopause quote unquote normally Mm -hmm. they would say when you've gone a year then you're in menopause congratulations Congratulations. you're done (laughs) except for us it's like two years well, maybe it's two years. We don't really know because you were this age. And mm, I mean, yeah. we're not really going to be concerned if it's a little bit after two years and something happens. Like that could be normal. Right. Because the new normal is unknown. Correct. There's no manual, as no. we are all aware. <laughs> no, no, there is no manual. There's no manual. And then you have like 16 million different bodies that yes. are living as cancer right. survivors who have mm-hmm. all been through different things, all with different genetics, all with yeah. different like flavors. Collateral damage, all different kinds of collateral damage. Yes. Yes. Where it's sort of like this the Yukon of <laughs> we are charting the territory <laughs> there's Maybe just no like years. gold to prospect for yeah no unfortunately <laughs> I saw <laughs> Call of the Wild this week <laughs> did you is it good is it, it good? was good okay was, we enjoyed it. it I I remember reading it as a kid it's been a long time but oh cool yeah so on that note you mentioned art therapy and I'm super curious about how you came to that and what you what you thought about that process. I want to say that I think we are so fortunate to be in an area where the Life with Cancer organization exists. It is unique. Uh, not many other places in our country have it. And the fact that 
everything they offer is absolutely free to cancer patients blows my mind all the time and i i fully throw my support around this organization um i did two kinds of different uh art therapy while i was going through treatment because i wasn't working and i really needed to keep my mind off of what was going on one thing i tried was called zen tangle z-e-n tangle and it is um basically meditative doodling is <laughs> the only way i can put it nice. but um the teacher guides you through making specific patterns with your pencil and then you color it in or you don't color it in. She'll read a meditation before we start. And we all just very quietly are sitting there with our pencils. For me, it was hard. I, if, if you are already artistically advanced, then you're going to make some really beautiful and interesting things. And that was not so much for me. It was just too small. I'm a big girl. I have big fat fingers. <laughs> but the other thing was the art therapy classes that they offer at Fair Oaks and at the Fairfax Life of Cancer. They're from one to three, I think on a weekday. Again, so while I was going through treatment and not working, I was able to attend these classes. Um, and it was all different kinds of art. Um, sometimes it was painting. Sometimes it was beadwork. Sometimes it was um, working with string. Uh, one time we um, took these um, silk circles and just dropped paint into them in certain places and just watched the paint spread depending on how much water you added to the paint. And it made this really neat abstract, you know, whatever color you wanted to do. That was really fun. It, so it was kind of like dream catchers, but was silk screening basically. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. And so again, she would read us a minute. We'd all close our eyes. We'd take a couple deep breaths. She'd read a meditation. We, she'd explain what we were going to do. We would do it. And then if we wanted to, at the end, we would show everybody what we did and why we did it that way, you know, and how it related to the meditation or not. I mean, it was very, do whatever you want, but going through the creative process reminds us that we are human beings and we create that is what we do and that keeps us connected to our humanness because all these drugs that we are on take so much of that away you know at the end you just feel like a shell of a person who's been run over at least for me i felt like i've just been run over with a steamroller every week for 20 weeks and there was hardly anything left. But being able to create, being able to produce something that was meaningful and beautiful to you um, was really important towards, towards my healing. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that's a beautiful note for us to close out on. Sure. That creative process, I think, sometimes reminds us like how life can be messy and beautiful all at once. Right. And it's, it's never going to be perfect. Never going to be perfect. It's perfect in its imperfection. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good point, well, Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for chatting with me today. Oh, this has been amazing. Pleasure. Oh, I'm so glad. Yay. This Good. has been amazing. Thank you so much. Good. You're welcome. Thank you, Cindy, for talking with me today and sharing your positive, vibrant energy. We talked about so many great truths. The idea that we make a choice to be defeated and overwhelmed or 
you make a choice to carry on and make the best of it. That idea of enjoying your life being a requirement and your use of humor is just amazing. That's a message I hope we can keep bringing out into the world. Your use of art therapy is also really interesting. It's something everyone can really benefit from. Patients, caregivers, family, and friends. When I was starting out with my cancer treatment, my cousin's best friend's mom had also been diagnosed with colon cancer around the same time. And the two of them had gone to a scarf painting class where they made scarves for us so that we would have a visual reminder of the support we had, even if it was at a distance. While we loved receiving those thoughtful gifts, it was also an activity they could do together to process how they were feeling at the time. It's nice to see art becoming more accessible, and I really loved what Cindy said about it reminding us that human beings are creative beings. That is so true. That's our episode for this week. I'll be back on July 9th when my guest will be Kate Sickle, sharing her unspoken cancer truths. I hope you'll listen in. And in the meantime, I'd love to see you in the Facebook group. Surviving is just the beginning. Thanks for listening and have a great week.